Welcome to the Traveling Image Makers Podcast, your source of inspiration about travel photography. Now sit back, relax, and enjoy the ride as we bring you on a tour around the world with our guests. So welcome to episode 105 of the Traveling Image Makers Podcast. And today, after a, a while, I'm happy to announce that we are together again, me and my co-host Ralph Velasco. We've been, uh, he's been missing in action for, for some time. Hey Ralph, how are you doing? Hey there, I'm very good, Hugo. So it's uh, been uh, to India and Cambodia. I think you're in Cambodia right now. Is it true? Yeah, I am. I just finished up a group trip to India for a couple of weeks, and then I came straight to Cambodia and had a group trip here, and now I've got a little bit of free time that I'm going to be doing a lot of administrative work catch-up, so, so it's not easy uh, that's to, what I'm doing right now. It's not easy to be online at the same time. Uh, with, uh, you're busy with your groups going around, and we all got things to do, and sometimes the time zones don't help if we have a say a guest from the US it's going to be maybe we have to interview them their morning it's going to be my afternoon and it's the middle of the night for you so that time zones <laughs> don't always work well we had a few episodes yeah. where it was just me interviewing people close by or it was you interviewing people that were more in your time zone but uh, you got a bit more time now and uh, for this uh, this week's uh, guest He's in Europe. Uh, Vieri Bottazzini is a, a landscape photographer from Italy. So we're on the same time zone. We can do it at a time that works for you as well. So I'm happy that we can do it together uh, this time. Yeah, I mean, we're, you know, we're travel photographers. We travel, we're, we're with groups, and uh, that's just the way it goes. So, And there's times when I've done interviews you know in the middle of the night but it's not always practical especially with a group when you know that you need your sleep <laughs> and you got a big day uh so uh and i think it's working out you know we're uh, you're doing some great interviews i've done a couple myself and i've got a couple coming up so uh we'll just keep uh, working with it i think it's going well that's great and i think by the time this uh, episode airs i'll be in oman with my group uh, another time zone again. I think I'll have time while there to to do any recordings, but it's good that we can do some some now and then if it uh, go out later. I think when uh, when you are in Oman, I will be heading from Cambodia to Sri Lanka, or or just going as you're coming back. I'm not sure, but um, yeah, I'll be heading to Cambo or to Sri Lanka for the first time. So I'm pretty excited about that. It's great that we are going to have some warm weather here in Italy. The starting to get colder finally, beginning of winter. <laughs> <laughs> I was actually planning to do a shoot tomorrow here in uh, in Cinque Terre, uh, shoot some video. I'm going to scrape that because it's going to be raining the whole day. Mm. Too bad. Anyway, I'll do that when uh, when I come back. Hopefully. So, are you doing? Are you doing much with your uh, drone anymore? Are you are you still getting out there with that? Is that what you're talking about? I'm going to do some. Uh, yeah, not tomorrow, unfortunately, because of the weather. Maybe Sunday. Mm. This is today is Friday, by the way. 
So, yeah, we'll see. I don't know if I told you, but I bought one this summer and I barely got it out of the box. Never got it up into the air and then uh, started doing some hardcore travel in Romania, Bulgaria and uh, Ireland. And then I had about nine days in between before I had to go to India, where I understand that they're not real big on letting you bring in or use drones. So I didn't even bother bringing it. But someone, a participant on my Cambodia trip, had one. So uh, we had some fun with that. I can't wait to get out there with myself with it. I did some flying in Thailand. They are, mm. they basically don't care. They're pretty happy with you flying the drones. I'm not bringing it to Oman. Uh, it's mm. actually, yeah. I think it's uh, pretty much illegal to fly there. And if the, you, mm. you land and they see, they find it in your bags, they will uh, confiscate it. <laughs> and hopefully give it back to you when you leave the country but I'm not going to risk it yeah. so it will stay no, home no. when I'm traveling this uh, this uh, next week all right okay so let's uh, let's jump into our interview with uh, Vieri Bottazzini and we will back with uh, a little bit more chatting and talking about our future programs after the interview okay so our guest today is uh, Vieri Bottazzini and for once, I'm uh, sure I'm pronouncing it uh, correctly because uh, he's an Italian like me. Hi, Vieri. How are you doing? Uh, how you going? I'm doing great. How are you? I'm doing good. Um, and it's pretty becoming cold here. I was out until a few minutes ago and my fingers are still freezing. I'm recovering <laughs> from that. <laughs> so just uh, to give our audience a little bit of introduction about you. Uh, you're a travel and landscape photographer, and in your bio right, you yeah. say you you like to portray the beauty of the planet, working in the most spectacular studio of the world, the world itself. Yes, <laughs> you love the outdoors, I guess. Yeah, I do. Uh, I do. Like ambassador, like academy Italy instructor, format high tech ambassador, uh, and you dedicated you since the last seven years, I think, or eight years, you've been dedicating yourself exclusively to fine art landscape photography. Yeah, that's, that's pretty much so. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, mm -hmm. you also do a lot of teaching through workshops. Uh, I, yep, I do, ahead. I do, yes. And your favorite destinations are the American Southwest, Scotland, United Kingdom, Turkey, and of course, Italy, where you settled mm -hmm. after spending 15 years abroad, where, where you've been exactly. Uh, I lived in, in Turkey, in Istanbul, for 15 years oh, in, in my previous life. So, <laughs> why, so that's why probably Istanbul? why I like the outdoors yeah. as well. Why Istanbul, of all places, if I may ask? Um, I got offered the job in, uh, in 2000, so I moved there and I stayed there for, for 15 years, 14 years and a half, 15. And then I moved back to Italy and, uh, um, about, what, three years ago? So. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, uh, anything you would like to, to add uh, to this uh, short uh, introduction? No, no, I think that's pretty much it. And uh, um, people can find more about me on my numerous websites, so it's fine. Yep, we will uh, ask about that uh, later, all your links and so on. I'll put the links uh, in, in the show notes as well. 
Okay. let me ask you, are you still, uh, do you still have, I assume this was uh, another type of job that you had in conjunction with photography. Are you still doing that? Are you doing photography full time now? No, no, I'm doing photography full time, um, for a few years now and, uh, mm, I'm loving it. Um, I'm not thinking about another, any, uh, doing any other job ever. <laughs> <laughs> Got the bug. <laughs> so uh, maybe I'll, uh, I'll anticipate a question that I had the uh, intention of asking uh, later in our interview. But since you you said that you have no intention of taking another job, uh, the question very straightforwardly and directly is, uh, is there a, how can one make a living with landscape photography? Um, well, I mean, you have to be uh, an entrepreneur and a businessman, first of all. Um, of course, I take it for granted that uh, that you can <laughs> you can do photography, but um, as with everything, uh, being able to do something doesn't mean being able to make a living out of something. So I spent most, I mean, I spend a large part of my time in running my business and uh, um, I think that is a fundamental part of the job I think if anybody wants to do professional wants to go professional they have to be a businessman and entrepreneur of themselves first and foremost that's and I found that about I mean many people ask ask me the question and uh, I found that that's what's lacking I mean people doesn't quite know how to go about it and uh, it's not easy, you know. Is there? A- I think a lot of other, a lot of people underestimate the uh, the amount of, you know, the, the amount of business acumen that's involved in photography, and we've talked about it before on the show. I know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's. I think it's uh, it's definitely true. You know, people think, oh, I can, I'm, I got to a decent level of photo taking. I get thousands of likes on Facebook. I'm going to be a photographer, uh, but. <laughs> Um, there is a little bit more to it than that, I think. So. Yeah, I think you need to also to be very good at marketing yourself and so on. But but mm-hmm. in the end, mm-hmm. where does, if I may ask, even without sure. giving specific uh, details or uh, percentages, mm-hmm. where, where does the money come from? Uh, fine art prints, uh, workshops, uh, other uh, selling? Yes, the money... The money comes from from workshops and the sales of images for me, at least. Uh, Yeah, there is basically selling uh, fine art prints. Now I have a, I've started this new uh, single piece editions. They're they're taken all pretty nicely, so that's that's good. And um, and then workshops. I've been teaching pretty much all my life, so that's something that I really love to do. And I'm dedicating a lot of time to that. And and then you you sell images to uh, magazines or people that wants to buy them for or whatever use they have for them. And uh, but mostly for me, it's fine art print sales and workshops. Okay. When you say you've been teaching workshops all your life, do you mean photography workshops, or was that a part of your previous life? Ah uh, no, I've been teaching all my life uh, various things. I've been teaching um, university and post grad for about fifteen years of my life, and um, I've been teaching photography for about ten years of my life. Uh, so I think uh, overall I have 
it's scary when you think that way, but I, I am close to a quarter of a century of teaching experience on my back. <laughs> wow. <That's> scary. <laughs> Getting well, old when, here, guys. Nah. Well, <laughs> tell us about the moment that you decided that you wanted to be a photographer. Um, well, it's... Uh, it happened by chance, more or less. I've been photographing all my life, but uh, in, before doing this, I was a musician. Uh, I was a professional classical musician. Uh, I played the flute. I was a concert flute player. I was touring the world with that and recording CDs and stuff. But I was always photographing for myself, let's say, as an amateur or an advanced amateur. And one day I had a concert and the pianist, it was a flute and piano concert, and the pianist didn't have a photo for the poster. And so uh, I took it, put on my home studio, let's say, flashes and stuff like that. And I got the photo and people coming to the concert asked her about the photo. And so I thought, hmm, maybe I should consider doing this, you know. And I started working with musicians because they were my... Uh, fellow you know, colleagues and, and mates. So people started to come to me for that. And then, so I started with, um, you know, CD covers and concert photography and stuff like that. And I did that for about five years professionally, not full time. And in 2010, I was pretty burned out. And in summer, I went to the Southwest USA with a camera and a tripod and in the middle of the desert, you know, I didn't want to see people. Plus, you know, artists, they can be a little tricky to work with, let's say, you know, demanding and stuff like that. So I, I, I kind of had enough. I wanted to just recharge my batteries and I went to the Southwest and I spent about a month driving around and taking pictures. And I completely did fell in love with the, um, did fall in love with the landscape and I decided that that was what I wanted to do. And then I worked on the transition to make a business out of it. And uh, and eventually I stopped doing everything else and just doing this. Great. And um, on your bio, you say you are a Leica ambassador, which I mm -hmm. take it means you shoot with Leica cameras and lenses. But the Leica... It's not one system, right? It's a universe of different uh, lines, a series of cameras and lenses and different systems. So what exactly are you shooting yes, these days? Using a Leica SL. In fact, I'm using two of them in my bag. And um, with uh, the Leica SL native zoom lenses that are available uh, today, one is the 24 to 90 and the other one is the 92 to 80. And that these two lenses cover pretty much all I do. Plus, since I really love to use uh, wide-angle lenses because of the different view on the world that they uh, allow me, then I have um, I, I use the fantastic Foytlander 15 millimeters in M mount, in like an M mount with an adapter, and uh, and I also have a crazy wide 10 millimeters Foytlander lens for when I really want to go crazy you know so this is pretty much my base kit and then i have a couple of more lenses that i um use when when needed i have a 50 millimeters f1 
old Noctilux, which is great because of the different uh, look that it that it gives. And I have a macro lens. I have a hundred millimeters, like a R micro macro lens, which I use when I need to do macro. But pretty much my kit is um, my basic kit is two cameras, two lenses. I have one camera with the 15 millimeters on and the other camera with the 24 to 90. And if the destination um, requires, I'll bring the 90 to 280. Otherwise, I just leave that at home or totally. You know, so. well, what kind of camera is the SL? Can you briefly describe it for to our audience? I mean, many people are familiar with Canon, Nikon, or mm-hmm. Fuji or Olympus uh, cameras, but like uh, also maybe because of the price tag is not so well, <laughs> <laughs> well known. So what, what kind of camera is that? Well, um, sensor size, is it digital, of course, but sensor yeah. size, uh, uh, is it DSLR or what? So the Leica SL is a full frame, 35 millimeters full frame uh, sensor size, and it is a mirrorless camera. So it's not a DSLR per se. It's, uh, it has an electronic viewfinder, um, which is one of the reasons why I really love to use it, because um, that is the the best electronic viewfinder on the market. It has more than four megapixels and a great um, great refresh rate. It's huge when you look into it. It doesn't give you the tunnel uh, feel that many electronic viewfinder gives you, you know. And before that, I used medium format um, DSLR camera. So I'm, I'm produced to very good viewfinders, but DSLs really won me over. And uh, plus is, of course, weather sealed. Um, it's very compact. It's uh, the user interface is very simple. It doesn't have uh, many buttons on the camera body. It has only four um, customizable buttons on the side of the LCD, uh, plus a couple of more buttons on the camera body, and you can configure them to to do what you need them to. Which for me is great because you know when I work in the field, um, I only need so many controls. I don't need to have um, everything available on the camera body. And I prefer simplicity and straightforward user interfaces. So this is why the SL works for me. It's 24 megapixel. And uh, but the, the and I know what you're going to say. I mean, is, isn't, isn't it a little low in count for landscape? And I know for landscape, we love the more megapixel we can get, you know, and I wouldn't mind having more, of course, but uh, um, Leica lenses resolve so much that to me, um, and there are numbers on this, about this on the internet, um, but to me, they feel more or less like 36 megapixel, 36 to 40 megapixel uh, that I was used to before, before Leica used uh, an Icon D800, which had 36 megapixel, uh, and then a Pentax 645Z with 50 megapixel. And before the Nikon, I, I even used Phase 1 digital bags with the tech camera, with the Linoff tech camera. You know, so, uh, and I had 60 and then 80 megapixel with that uh, contraption. Great image quality, but not so flexible in the field, you know. Mm-hmm. So... It's always a compromise, I think. And uh, what I really love of the, the system I'm using now is the extreme flexibility in the field. It's uh, very quick to use. 
Um, it has a few, well, now it's going to be pre- perhaps too much detail, but it has a few features that makes the dark, uh, it seems like they, are, they have been made for a landscape photographer. For instance, you know, the little LCD that is on top of the camera. It gives you digitally information on uh, how far is your focus point and how far is your back focus and front focus point. So without even having to uh, use autofocus or manual focus, you can just um, focus by looking at the top LCD, which is great in many situations when you cannot, for instance, when it's dark and you cannot autofocus properly. Yeah, it has a few of these kind of little tiny features that makes my work uh, much easier in the field. And the optics, you know, Leica optics are legendary. And uh, I have to say that uh, this, is, this is true. I mean, as, as much as people can think about, oh, the mythology of Leica lens, but there is a lot of truth behind it, you know. So, so, so why do you think that we don't see many of those in the field? I mean, everyone as landscape is shooting Canon or Nikon these days. Is it just because of the price tag? I mean, just the body, I think, is not priced outrageously if you compare it to a top-of-the-line camera. No, the, the body is, is about 6,000 euro now in Italy, um, which is a lot of money, I understand. But uh, I think the reason is, you know, Leica traditionally has been, you know, Leica had the M line, they still do, the rangefinder. And as DSLR, they had the R line. And then when digital came, Basically, they transitioned uh, using the M line, and M is more of a street or reportage camera, you know, the rangefinder. And they didn't have any camera that that was uh, suitable for landscape photography until DSL. And DSL is, what, two years old? So even for me, when I moved to Leica, um, DSL caught my eye because of the EVF and because of the the body and the lenses and everything. and uh, But I think um, not many people use this because um, Leica as a brand is not associated to landscape photography yet, perhaps. And uh, and because they didn't have a, a camera that, that uh, did the job um, as we expect it to do, let's say, you know. So, but I think I'm seeing more and more people using an SL of course, numbers are not comparable to Nikon and Canon yet, but um, I'm confident that uh, as people get to know the camera and uh, and its capabilities, more people are, are starting to use it because it's, to me, it's a really fantastic system for landscape. So do you think that it's suitable for th- uh, other types of photography. I mean, this is a travel photography podcast, and mm-hmm. uh, I'm all about uh, shooting with one body, one lens when I'm in the field. But mm-hmm. is that SL system, I mean, is that something that, uh, you know, is, is practical for use uses outside of landscape work? I think it is. I think um, the SL with the 24 to 90 covers pretty much, I mean, one camera, one lens. It's like, universal you know if you only need for instance one small prime you can use m lenses on it with great image quality but um i would see when i of course when i travel for my landscape work is not that i close my eyes and my cameras 
unless I'm not on a tripod, you know what I mean? So I'm using it um, also to document my my travel for myself and for articles and stuff like that. And it's very fast as a travel camera. It's And to me, the, the 24 to 90 zoom, it's a, it's a genius idea compared to the 24 to 70 zooms that we are used to have because this 20 extra millimeters of reach that it allows you uh, save you for from most of the times from bringing a second lens with you. You know, 90 is pretty much a great focal length for portraits and better than 70. Uh, so I think one camera, one lens is great for travel photography. It's not the smallest um, camera for that that you can find, but it's smaller and lighter. It's actually smaller than anything else except for Sony combinations and lighter than everything else except, I guess, Sony and Pentax. I, I had did a comparison on my blog on sizes, but it's surprisingly not too big, you know, not as big as people think. And you mentioned portraits, but do you do portrait work when you travel? I do. Uh -huh. I do, yeah, yeah. Um, I don't see much just, of it published. Maybe I wasn't looking carefully at your website. No, no, I don't publish it. Uh -huh. <laughs> I don't publish it. Yeah, you know, I think it's sad, but we live in times where if you do a little bit of everything, people don't take you to, as serious, you know? Mm -hmm. So if you have a website where you have landscape and portrait and travel and this and that, people think, huh, jack of all trades, master of none kind of thing, you know? So I just do it for myself. And But I have uh, I've done street photography for many years when I was living in Turkey with my film cameras or M cameras. I did exhibition on street photography before I moved to landscape. But now I kind of feel that if I did that, people will not take me as serious as a landscape photographer or something like that. And so maybe I'll open a, a travel landscape website or a street landscape site under a false name or something. You know? mm -hmm. Interesting. Well, <laughs> I, I, th I think that's kind of the definition of a travel photographer is yeah, jack of all trades, master of some. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> very true, very true. Is there anything left in this world to be photographed when it comes to landscape photography? Um, that's, a, that's a question. It's a very interesting question. It's a question that I ask myself um, often, actually. But to me, the point of of uh, what I do is um, um, more than the novelty. I mean, photographing something that has never been photographed before is um, portraying something and through that transmit to the viewers the emotions and feelings that I had when I've been on a scene. You know, so it's sort of more a fine art approach to photography rather than a documentaristic approach, which is probably why it what it differentiates me from a travel photographer because as you said you know travel photographers do landscape and i also do uh, travel for documentation so what's the actual line that separates the genre maybe it's this maybe it's the fact that my style or my approach tends more to be uh, that of a fine art photographer so um my goal more than finding new places is finding new ways of portray places that uh, that somebody has already photographed because 
Um, you're very right. I mean, the implication of your question is, I mean, the implied answer to your question is no, there aren't. And it's true. I mean, I don't know if uh, if you probably went, of course, there are places that, that haven't been photographed before, but uh, I'm not much concerned on that. I'm more concerned on um, new takes on uh, on whatever I go. I mean, my personal take on whatever I go, whether it is a famous location or a unknown location. And I do both. I mean, mm-hmm. we have interviewed quite a few landscape and nature photographers. And we found out that to many, the issue of conservation is something that they have uh, top of their mind as a pressing issue. Uh, is that the same for you? And do you think that photography can help the conservation of nature? Or maybe there is a risk that by showing and discovering and showing new and beautiful locations, we are attracting crowds and this is creating more problems? Um, well, I'm definitely concerned about conservation issues. Um, I love the planet. I love the environment. I love nature and uh, I love to spend time in nature and I try to do it as respectfully as I can when I go myself and um, of course I follow the leave no trace um, policies, um, you know, leave only footsteps, take only photographs and if I can even not leave footsteps in some areas where I go, I think that's even better. You know, there are some very uh, delicate uh, microenvironments that you cannot even step on, you know. So, um, but um, I do believe that there is a social um, side to our work. Uh, social side is uh, um, showing the beauty of the planet, in my opinion, can help to bring people to appreciate it. And through appreciation comes respect. So if people see how beautiful the planet is, and then they look uh, out of their window in a polluted city and see the difference. Maybe they, you know, they can connect the dots you know, in their mind. And I think if we have a chance to help conservation is this. Of course, um, we can do reportage and articles and everything. But I mean, just by showing photos, we can help in this way. On the risk side, there is definitely a risk that showing places w- will bring people to these places. And even more today with, uh, you know, all sorts of electronics, electronic aids to that. You know, you have GPS, you have Google Maps, you have, uh, there are even websites that pinpoint on a map location for photographers to go to. This to me um, holds a serious danger for the environment. The danger is that People just go because they because it's easy to do so, not because they want to do so or because they love it or because they um, respect it or anything like that, you know. But um, to me, the solution is not stop showing photos or anything like that. The solution is educate people. Um, so, so the solution is bring these issues in front of everybody and explain them and explain that there is beauty in the in the fields close to home. You don't need to go on the other side of the world to find beauty. And if you go, you don't need to leave plastic bottles everywhere. Yeah. 
when I teach my workshops, I teach that, and I also do very, very small size group workshops. So to limit the impact, you know, that a group of photographer has, because I, when I travel, I often see 10, 15, 17, 20 photographers moving around, you know, and as careful as you are when you are 20, <laughs> you're bound to damage something, you know, so... Yeah, I, I like that answer. It's 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 good. Uh, Ugo touched on it in your bio at the beginning, but uh, what are some of your favorite locations to photograph on the planet? Hmm. Well, it's uh, a difficult one. I love I love a lot of stuff, but I mean, for me, the Southwest USA is a special place. That valley, in particular, is is a great favorite favorite of mine, and um, I think it's an extremely inspiring location and. Uh, uh, it's constantly changing landscapes and it's beautiful. And I like the north. I like Scotland very much. Um, I like the Atlantic. So I like Spain, the Atlantic coast of Spain. Portugal is a place where I want to go. Iceland, of course, Norway. Uh, these are places that I've never been yet, but I want to go to. But I kind of like that. But of course, if you see my destination you can see also italy and very much man-made landscapes so i also like to, to document and, and portray that i mean the the relationship between man and uh, and the environment but i i always do it with a fine art approach to it though i'm never um just a documentary photography you know can you maybe give our audience uh, two or three quick tips on how to take the best landscape photos, if that's not asking too much. <laughs> no, no, of course not, of course not. Um, well, <laughs> and there, there are a few tips that don't involve a camera. The first is arrive to a location and walk the location, explore the location with your eyes or with your feet if you can before taking the camera out and start, starting to shoot pictures. You know, too many people I see, they arrive somewhere and even uh, before one minute, they already have a camera in hand and a tripod out and they start taking pictures. But to me, you have to uh, get the location in maybe before uh, starting. Maybe it's because yeah? those people already have an image in their mind. You refer to sites that pinpoint locations. So they already <laughs> exactly. have the shot in their mind. They know where to put their... <laughs> The tripod, they see the tripod holes left like, you know, <laughs> thousands of photographers that were in that exact spot before, <laughs> and they know what focal length to use. And they've you know, <laughs> been there at 6.38 in the morning, we get the sun exactly. They don't have to look around, right? They just... <laughs> uh, then it comes a bit robotic, but... Uh, well, it's true, it's true. <laughs> but that's exactly what I don't want to do, you know? Yeah. <laughs> so, and... Um, plus... I think that for me, a, a big part of the fun and of the joy of doing this job is the process. You know? It's not just coming home with a great photo, but it's how do I get to the photo? So the exploring, the looking around, the finding new angles, new point of views, new focal lengths, you know, even new times of the day, you know, um, to me is a, is a big part of the fun. So first tip is forget the photos that you have already seen on a thousand websites, mine included. Just go to a place and uh, and try to uh, to find your own images. You know? Second, 
Um, good shoes, because you have to walk a lot <laughs> to get great photos. Um, it's, it's probably a derivative of point one. You know, you have to you have to walk a lot. And um, besides that, if you come more to photography technique and so on, to me the the most important thing when you create an image is pre-visualization. So you have to visualize the images you want to make in your mind, with your mind's eyes, before um, trying to create them with your camera. So, um, and this is not easy to do. You know, many people just, um, they never thought about that and they just, you know, try with the camera. Looking through if you find of the camera is not something I'm opposed to, of course. I mean, people can see better, some people can see better um, through a lens and that's fine. But uh, um, when you want, when you try to do like long exposures or night photography or so on, I see too many examples of um, people like, shooting something with no composition, no light, but you put an ND filter on it and you blur the clouds and the water and suddenly you become an artist, you know. And to me, um, it, there is a lack of sort of pre-visualization and vision and, and uh, thinking. So think before shoot is probably a good tip. And experiment, you know. Don't, don't be stuck in what you're seeing. Don't um, get disappointed if you saw an image of Zabriskie with a fantastic sunrise and you go there and there is a blue sky, you know. Don't get disappointed and frustrated, but and don't try to impose your expectation on the landscape and on the weather because that's going to be a failure, guaranteed failure, 100% of the time. Try instead to get inspired by the landscape and the conditions that you find on the landscape, you know, weather conditions and whatever you find. I think. Very good advice. If, if you could leave tomorrow and money were no concern, where would you travel to and why, Vieri? <laughs> <laughs> um, that's a bucket list kind of thing you know I have mm -hmm. I want to go to well the, the probably the farthest and probably most expensive trip that I've planned ahead is New Zealand so it's probably if I, if I won the lotto I would do that you know but I don't know if tomorrow <laughs> would be the good season to do that so I have to see <laughs> <laughs> but New Zealand definitely and then but easier to do Iceland I want to go to Iceland. I know everybody has been to Iceland, but you know, uh, so what? And um, Norway I, and Sweden. I want to explore Sweden. Not so many people go to Sweden. Everybody goes to Norway and Lofoten, but I think Sweden is a is a, it's probably a very good place for landscape. So I want to explore some some of that. And uh, but you know, I would love to. I would love to go to Easter Island just because I want to see those huge heads, you know, and. Uh, <laughs> Or, you know, <laughs> I, I would like to go everywhere. More than money, I think time is going to be a concern. Even if I'm becoming suddenly rich, I'll probably die before I can exhaust all the locations I want to see. <laughs> <laughs> True. Aside from the ones you would, you would like to go, are there any destinations that you are actually going to next, to, to trips for your own or workshops that you're going to lead somewhere soon? Yes, the first... Um, The first scheduled workshops uh, are Death Valley at the end of January, and I still have room on that one. 
And then I go to to the UK for a month between February and, and March, April, and I go to Dorset first, and then to Scotland, uh, Isle of Arran, Isle of Skye, Glencoe, and um, and these are my scheduled workshops. And then I do one-on-one workshops. So these pretty much I never know when they can happen and where because it depends on who books and where they want to go. And as far as me personally, I'm planning uh, to go to the UK uh, in the next month, I think, to do some some more exploring for a new, uh, I'm developing a new location. So I'm going to do some scouting and, and uh, look logistics for that. Uh, and probably I'm going to go to Norway, but I don't know when. If, if, I, if I could tell just a quick story about Death Valley, um, that was one of the first sort of long weekend tours that I ever led, and it was probably back in 2007, 2008, but I was there with a group. I think we had maybe six people, and we come into the the ranger station, and we're just kind of looking around at maps and things like that. And one of the rangers starts talking to one of my people and says, so uh, how you enjoying uh, your day at the park? And he says, great. Uh, what are you doing here? Oh, uh, well, we're, we're on a photo workshop. And he's like, oh, you are, huh? <laughs> and, uh, and, who's, uh, and who's leading that trip? And says, oh, that guy over there. And they point to me. Well, <laughs> I didn't know that you needed permits. <laughs> and... Uh, I somehow talked my way out of getting what probably would have been a very hefty fine. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, so that was the last time I ever did a workshop there. <laughs> no, uh, I, I know. It's a, that's a concern. Uh, my workshops in that valley are always uh, all full, fully permitted by the park. And, um, you know, I, I've heard horror stories about that. People going, you know, unaware as you were, you know. And the workshop getting stopped and banned from the park, and uh, you know, so it's uh, <laughs> but uh, but it's, uh, well, I like and that. He I, actually I went to that. my website and wanted to see how much I was charging and everything. It was oh. uh, it, close. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it's um, it's I, I appreciate the U.S. Uh, national park system for doing that because yeah, you have to to keep uh, the park system a little bit under control somehow, you know, and uh, I, I appreciate that they, they want us to be permitted and they want us to be serious businesses, you know, so I don't think it's bad. Yeah, yeah. It's annoying if you are a foreigner, I have to say, because uh, all the procedures are designed for U.S. people, you know, so if all you're right. a foreigner, you don't have, uh, you know, INSR num- IRS number or whatever it is that you need to have, you know, you have always to... It's it's all very complicated, but you can manage. Mm-hmm. So, mm. <laughs> but that's a good story. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was the last time I ever did a uh, national <laughs> tour because I used to do Joshua Tree as well. <laughs> <laughs> all right, I think yeah. uh, we have uh, at the top of the the time that we have uh, scheduled for this uh, conversation, and uh, I think it's uh, it's it's been great. It's been really good. I really appreciated your uh, non, non-technical, non-gear-related tips about uh, uh, landscape photography. So I'm sure our audience will have appreci- appreciated them uh, just as much. 
So well, I hope so. I mean, there is so much technical information on the website, on, on the web, you know, but not enough philosophical information on the approach to this that we do, you know. Yep. So where, where can people find more about you online? If they want uh, to they can, well, workshops have, or everything? Yeah, I have a network of websites, but if you go to um, https uh, slash I mean, um, double slash vieribotazzini.com. That's my hub. You can go everywhere from there. So, so it's like uh, namesurname.com. Easy. Yep. V-I-E-R-I-B-O-T-T-A-Z-Z-I-N-I.com. I think that's I, perfect. I got it that's right. exactly correct. Yeah, there you no, got no, it perfect. I, I spelled it because I know it's not a... For me as an Italian, it's easy to, <laughs> to remember. I, I'm sure for uh, other people... To speak other languages is not that easy. And, but we will put a link to that in the show notes. Uh, and of course, Appreciate that. Thank uh, you. Instagram and uh, Twitter feeds and so on, we will link to those as well. So, Ralph, anything else you would like to, to say before we say goodbye? Uh, no, that was great. Thank you very much, Vietti. And uh, yes, I too appreciate the uh, non-technical tips. Uh, that's, that's a great way to do it. And uh, learn some things today so appreciate your time very much uh, thank you guys thank you Hugo thank you Ralph for, for inviting me it's been great to meet you guys and have this this chat I really loved it thank you well th thanks to our guest Fiority and uh, appreciate his being on the show and so Hugo what do you have coming up uh, any workshops I know you've got this Oman trip coming up and some other great trips within Italy next year what's going on with you yeah, well, the Oman trip is starting next week, actually, when this goes live. Uh, I'll be already there, so it's too late to, to advertise. But it's full, so anyway, <laughs> with no, nice. no chance. We will reschedule re it for next year, definitely, probably December 2018. Uh, keep an eye on my mm -hmm. website at ucphoto.me for announcements. Uh, as for tours that are actually uh, still not uh, full, so we still have some spots left, uh, is going to be Venice, the, our first workshop there. We have two plans planned, but uh, the first one still have uh, some spots left, and it's going to be uh, in February 5 to 10 for the Venice Carnival. And then uh, we just announced, me and uh, Alessandro Biggi, which is a, a great friend of mine, Italian photographer, we're going to Sardinia, we're going to this beautiful island in the middle of the Mediterranean for some uh, sun and uh, landscape photography, uh, mostly photographing the coast. The dates there are April 26th to May 1st. Again, ucphoto.me for all, everything about me. There is a tours section at the top and you can just check what's, uh, what's coming up. And what about, uh, what about you, Ralph? Let's see. So uh, I think as this episode comes out, I mentioned that I'll be uh, heading over to Sri Lanka to be doing some scouting. And then right before the Christmas holiday, I'll be back in Chicago. I'll, I've got a full schedule of speaking at the travel shows in the U.S., uh, including Chicago, San Diego, the Bay Area, um, where else? The New York Times travel show. And so really excited about those. And um, also I've got two Cuba trips coming up back to back in mid to late March. The first one, March 10th through the 17th, has a couple spots left. And the second one is uh, March 18th through the 25th 
and that's pretty open. So if people are looking to get to Cuba on a fully licensed uh, program, please go to my website at photoenrichment.com. Look for tours, and there's more information there. You can always email me if you have any questions. And people can find me on the uh, the interwebs. Uh, I'm pretty much at Ralph Velasco or at Photo Enrichment on all the social media sites, but I'm mostly active on Facebook. And finally, if uh, people are looking to learn more about how to organize and lead their own tours, simply go to tourorganizertraining.com and you can join our free webinar Uh, The next one will be coming up at 8 p.m. Central Time in the U.S. on December 12th. And we have them about every couple of weeks. So if you missed that one, I'm sure there'll be another one. Great. So it was uh, nice to be talking with you again. And I'm sure from uh, next few weeks, we will be hopefully together uh, for the foreseeable time. We really love doing this. We really love your... uh, uh, the, The... Uh, reviews and all the comments that uh, people leave on our website or on iTunes. Actually, I should stop saying iTunes. I think it's officially called Apple Podcasts or uh, is it, right? (laughs) I don't know, to be honest with you. I didn't realize that that changed. Yeah, they changed the name. It's It's Apple Podcasts, I think. Whatever. We still call it iTunes. I think people... (laughs) I'm familiar with the iTunes they will for a while. <laughs> <laughs> sure. Okay. Uh, great uh, talking to you. And um, until next time, take care. All right. Safe travels, Hugo. And now everyone get out and shoot.